0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, today on the podcast, I wanna talk about the theme of reclaiming corporate worship, reclaiming corporate worship. Now, before I go into the podcast content, I want to make two sort of broad disclaimer statements up front. First, this podcast is not about any particular style of worship. I don't really care what style your church uses, whether you sing traditional music, new music, whether you have robed choir or no choir. Doesn't matter to me what your people wear or how the service is organized. So, this podcast is not about about any particular style of worship. I have worshiped literally around the world uh, in India and in Europe and in uh, South America and Central America and worship styles across all those places and even across the United States are all very different. So this is not a podcast about worship styles. Let's get past that. Second, I've really thought a lot about the tone or the attitude that I want to communicate in this podcast because I don't want to sound like the old man yelling, Get off my yard, to some kids who've wandered uh, too closely to his petunias or something weird like that. I don't want to sound uh, cranky about this issue, but quite honestly, I. I do feel very strongly about it, and I do think it's something that we're missing pretty significantly right now in a lot of church contexts. So I want to try to say something that's uh, important and gives a perspective without sounding too negative about it. So those are my two disclaimers. First, this is not about a particular style of worship, and second, I'm trying not to be negative about uh, any particular uh, way that things are being done, but simply trying to call us to see a big blind spot right now that I think we need to address. So today on the podcast, Reclaiming Corporate Worship. Now, I'm specifically speaking today about a very common worship practice that I hear voiced repeatedly In various contexts and settings where I go to speak, where the worship leader says, we've gathered here today to worship God, but we want you to have the freedom to do your own thing. And frequently they'll then say things like, stand if you want to stand, sit if you want to sit, sing if you want to sing, whatever you feel comfortable doing, that's what we want you to do in these moments. And I'm reacting very strongly against that. I think that is actually the complete opposite of what needs to happen when we gather for a. Let me emphasize it: corporate worship experience. Now, I think the people who are saying this to me are well-meaning. Uh, they're they're not trying to do something uh, nefarious or, or ineffective. No matter how well-meaning it is to say to a gathered group of people, everyone do their own thing, I think we're missing in that moment the power of corporate worship. Now, there are at least four myths that I think motivate this perspective, which I will call the do your own thing perspective. The first myth is that worship leaders are responsible to set an example in worship and everyone else will follow. Now, that sounds so spiritual, but it's just plainly so wrong. A worship leader has a far greater responsibility than just setting an example and hoping others will follow. Now, I'm going to talk in a little bit a little bit more detail later in the podcast about what I mean by worship leadership. But for now, let's just understand that this is a myth informing this do-your-own-thing perspective. And that myth is that worship leaders, their role, is to just set an example and everyone else will follow. The second myth motivating this perspective is that worship attenders know how to worship. Most worship leaders vastly overestimate the capacity of worship attenders to know how to worship. They simply don't. They really don't know what to do. That's why they've come to a corporate worship experience so they can be guided in knowing how to worship and in what worship really means. Now here's another myth. Another myth is that worship attenders have spent their entire week preparing for worship. I know this will be a surprise to some of you, but most people who come to worship in a corporate worship context have spent almost no time in the previous seven days thinking about what they're going to do when they gather for worship. They have not spent their week preparing for worship. Now, worship leaders have. They've spent time reading the Bible and praying and looking for songs and structuring sermons and, or ser, excuse me, structuring uh, services and, and practicing and rehearsing and preparing. And they mistakenly believe this myth that all of their attenders have spent their week preparing to worship in some ways like they have. It's simply not the truth. Worship attenders have spent their week managing spreadsheets, organizing classrooms, digging ditches, driving trucks, uh, wiping noses and changing diapers, and doing all the other things that make life happen, not thinking about what it means to worship or how to worship. But the fourth myth, and perhaps the one that really is the underscores this perspective, do your own thing and worship the most, the fourth myth is that attenders want an individual experience instead of a group experience. Attenders want an individual experience instead of a group experience. And that's simply not true. The reason they got up? and came together on a Sunday is because they wanted to have something they could share with other people, not an individual experience. Sometimes when a worship leader says to me, we want you to do your own thing. I think, well, what I really want to do is go home and watch the NFL, on t- uh, the NFL football game on TV. What I really want to do is go to the lake and, uh, and, and enjoy a, a, a nice day fishing. Or what I, what I really want to do is I get out of this uh, suit that I'm wearing and go someplace and enjoy myself with my family. I, 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 I don't want to do what I want to do. I, I came together as a group because I want to do something different that I couldn't do on my own. So the myths motivating this do-your-own-thing perspective are that worship leaders are only supposed to set an example and everyone else will follow, that attenders actually know how to worship, attenders have spent their week preparing to worship, and attenders want an individual experience instead of a group experience. Now, before I talk about uh, some positive things that we can do to reclaim the corporate nature of worship, let me speak to those of you who, for a moment, who have the responsibility for leading corporate worship. Let's talk specific let me talk specifically to you about your responsibility and why it's so significant that you have the right perspective on leadership, not the right perspective on worship, but the right perspective on leadership before you step in front of people and lead them to corporate worship. Now, this next sentence is going to be one of those that sounds like that old man saying, Get off my yard, but I'm going to say it anyway. Are you ready? Telling people to do your own thing in a corporate worship service is an abdication of your leadership. It is an abdication of your leadership. It is you willingly giving up your responsibility and opportunity to be a leader. You are not there. Just to set an example and hope everyone will follow, you are there to lead people to do something they cannot do on their own. Oh, if I could just get this through to you that are in worship leadership. So many people like me come on a Sunday, not really knowing what to do, looking to someone to lead us, to take us where we can't go on our own. I'm looking for a leader a leader who will help me to do something I cannot do on my own. And let me just underscore that we would not tolerate this do your own thing approach in any other area of church ministry. Can you imagine the pastor stepping up to preach and saying, well, I'm going to preach from first Corinthians this morning, but you do your own thing. If you'd rather read Romans or read Genesis or uh, if you'd rather form a small group sitting where you're uh, uh, around where you are right now and maybe talk through one of the Psalms, you just go ahead. Everybody do their own thing. I'm just going to stand up here and talk about 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, just model what I mean by Bible study and approaching the text and learning how to apply it. I'm just going to model that for you. You all do your own thing. We would never tolerate that. What about in your worship or in your Bible study program? Do you ever go to your Bible study teachers and say, hey, All of you just do your own thing Uh, find your own curriculum study it and develop it your own way teach it whenever you want to organize your class however you choose uh meet here at the building or in your home or in a college we don't really care just do your own thing we would never do that same thing in youth ministry children's ministry in every kind of ministry area of the church our focus and goal is to get people to come together and to do a common thing and yet in worship we say the opposite. Go do your own thing. That's why I say that this approach is an abdication of leadership responsibility. Your responsibility as a worship leader is to gather the people and lead them to do something they cannot do on their own. Now, a number of years ago, I had a good friend who was a graduate of the Naval Academy And he told me in a conversation one day, the very first rule of leadership, he said, Jeff, the first rule of leadership is this, when in command, command. That has stayed with me all these years. When in command, command. In other words, when you've been given the responsibility of leadership, take that responsibility and do something with it. If you have been entrusted with the responsibility of leading your church in worship, don't abdicate that responsibility by coming before people on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis and saying, do your own thing. Instead, come before people, call them together, and lead them to do something they cannot do on their own. They don't have the resources or the, uh, the ability or the insight to do on their own. Lead them to do what they cannot do by themselves. When in command, command. When placed in leadership, lead. Now, another aspect of leading corporate worship that will be hard for some of you to hear is that leading corporate worship requires you to focus on the attenders and not on yourself. Now, this idea that you're here as a worship leader and your job is just to model worship and everyone will just follow you along and you're going to stand up on the stage with your eyes closed and you're going to be in another world because you're just worshiping. And you think there's some kind of special spiritual approach to that that just makes it so unique. And really what it says to me is you're selfish. You've come to this worship service focused on yourself. When in reality, your responsibility is to come to this service focused on me, your follower, the attenders, the ones who so desperately are counting on you to take us somewhere that we can't go on our own, to do something we don't know how to do without your guidance. Now, a couple of stories to help you understand this. A few years ago, I was working with a young worship leader, a wonderful and remarkable young man. He had real gifts for music and for leadership, and i saw him as developing into a remarkable worship leader and then one sunday uh he came to church and seemed a little distracted and so i asked him uh what's happening with you this morning and he said well it, you know it's been a really rough week i had this thing go on in my personal life and i had this thing go on with my car and my wife's been sick and our, our children have had these demands and You know, I, I, I'm here today, but, uh, you know, my mind is somewhere else and there's just so many things going on and, and it's just, it's just really been a challenge. And I kind of startled him and I meant to, because when he finished telling me this story, I said, I don't care. He said, excuse me. I said, I don't care. And neither does anybody else who's coming to church this morning. Everyone coming today, everyone, has had the same kind of week you've just had. But they're coming today believing that you are going to lead them to shift their focus off of what they've been living through and onto the holiness and the love of God. You're going to shift their focus to the grandeur and the opportunity of worshiping God. You are going to take them where they are and lead them where they want to go, but they don't know how to get there. I don't care. Your responsibility today is to lead. It's to lead. And leadership is about setting aside your own agendas, your own struggles, your own difficulties, and doing what's right in the moment to take the people you're responsible for where they need to go under your direction. I watched that young man that morning grow up spiritually. By a leap and a bound, he went forward. Because he realized I wasn't being cruel or mean or unkind when I said, I don't care. I was simply trying to get his full and undivided attention and help him understand that he was a leader. And as a leader, he had to get his focus off himself and get his focus on, the, on his followers, and sacrifice his own situation for the good of the others. And as a leader, he had to take that responsibility and do what was required in the moment. Now, I'll apply this also to the preaching moment. You know, I've taught preaching here at Gateway off and on over the years. And uh, one of the myths in the preaching class that I confront is this myth. Uh, pastors say, well, you know, when I'm preaching, I'm mainly just preaching to myself and, and I'm preaching what I need to hear and I'm preaching what I need to do. Well, that's just ridiculous. I can't, I can't imagine anybody would even say that. Most of what I preach, I I, I don't, well, I'll, I'll say this way. Most of what I preach, I, I need to hear as a reminder, but I've been a Christian for 50 years. Most of what I preach, if I haven't already been doing it for a couple of decades, then there's something really wrong with me as a leader and as a preacher. For example, if I were preaching today in a church on stewardship, I would preach on the tithe. I don't need to hear a message on the tithe. I haven't given a tithe and I haven't given a tithe of in my income in more than 40 years. Who would give that little? But I still preach it because I know most people need to hear it. Because when I'm thinking about a sermon, I don't think about a sermon in terms of what I need to hear. I think about a sermon in terms of what do the people need to hear. And I'm going to preach not messages that I need to apply, but messages I know people need to apply. Now, that doesn't mean that I still don't need to hear preaching, that I don't still need tune-ups from time to time, and that I don't need to be paying attention to my words coming out of my mouth and making sure that my life lines up, that my walk and my talk are somewhat in line before I preach something. I get all that. But preachers should not preach what they need to hear or what they need to live. Preachers have to always ask themselves the question, what do my hearers need? What do these attenders who are coming to my church need? What are the people that are going to listen to this message really need to receive from the word of God? And that's what I'm going to preach. Same thing with worship leadership. When I shift my focus from my own needs to the needs of my hear- my followers, the needs of my hearers, the needs of these attenders, then I have moved away from focus on myself to my responsibility, focusing on my responsibility of leadership which is to make sure that what I'm doing serves the needs of others. So if you're listening to this podcast today and you have the responsibility for leading corporate worship, remember, telling people to do their own thing is an abdication of leadership responsibility. You're the leader. So when in command, command. When tasked with leadership, lead. And focus on your followers, the attenders, in the sense of preaching, the hearers. Don't ask the question, what do I need to do today? What would make me feel good today? What will I participate in doing in worship today? Instead, plan and lead the entire experience focused on the needs of your hearers or of your attenders. Now, leaders, one more thing. One more thing. I would strongly encourage about every two or three months, every worship leader to video their worship service and to watch it carefully. But wait a minute, you're already thinking, oh, we do that every week. We, we're already recording our service every week. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're recording what happens on the platform every week. When I was a pastor, every three or four months, we recorded a worship service in our church. We put a camera on the platform facing the audience and we recorded the entire service and we would watch it to see what was happening with the people during worship and during preaching. You see, we know what's happening on the platform because all those people are totally into worship leadership. Totally into it. We know what they're doing. What we were shocked to find when we first started videoing our attenders and our participants was how many of them didn't participate at all. They stood there during the singing, but they didn't sing. They looked around during the prayers, but they didn't pray. And we started asking ourselves some hard questions about how effective our leadership was, how effective our platform presence was when so many of the people were participating in such a haphazard way. And we started changing our leadership, not based on what we thought was effective, but instead changing our leadership so that the people were really participating in a different kind of way. And then we knew we were providing effective worship leadership. Now, having said these things about leadership, let me now focus the remaining time on the podcast on reclaiming the corporate nature of worship. As leaders, first of all, to regain reclaim the corporate nature of worship, I want you to plan experiences for all attenders. Plan experiences for all attenders. Now, what I what I mean by this is you're thinking about the broad spectrum of who's attending your worship services while you're doing the planning. I don't mean that every element of the service has to be structured for every single person, but instead... I mean, you're thinking about all the people who are coming as you're thinking about planning the service together. And sometimes it helps to have a person identified that you're planning to meet their needs. We had one of these back in the day when I was a pastor. His name was Sonny Nelson. Sonny was at the time he was in our church in his late 50s, maybe even early 60s. He was a businessman, owned a small company. He drove a uh, excavator every day. He built uh, houses and he dug foundations for houses. That's what he did. At one point, he had a lot of people working for him, but over the years, he'd scaled it back. And he said, "Jeff, I just got to the point where I just enjoy working by myself, and I can make about the same amount of money when it's all said and done." So every day, Sonny Nelson went to work and uh, dug uh, foundations for housing subdivisions. His wife, wonderful person, she was a real estate person. Uh, they were longtime uh, Christians, very sp- strongly supportive of our church and of God's work and just so such great, great people. And so when we would have our worship planning meetings, I would always ask this question, will Sonny Nelson sing that song? Will Sonny Nelson participate in this aspect of worship that you're planning? And quite frankly, a lot of times the worship leaders would have to say, well, probably not. And we'd have to say, well, then why are we doing that? I mean, here's a man that's a passionate Christian, loves the Lord, works hard all week, comes to church on Sunday, expects to participate in the service, wants to participate in the service, and now we're planning something that we know he won't sing or he won't say or we're asking him to hold hands when we know he won't do that. Get a person in your mind like that when you're planning for worship and plan that all your attenders can participate And if you have large numbers of them like that who simply are not participating, ask yourself the hard question why, and then make the adjustments. Second thing that you can do to reclaim the corporate nature of worship is plan to all do the same thing together. People love this. They say, oh, no, they don't. People like to do their own thing. No, they don't. Listen, have you been to a sporting event lately? Man, I I have been already this year to a couple of college football games. When I show up at those stadiums, 60, 70, 100,000 people will all be wearing the school colors. They all know the school songs. They all appreciate the school traditions. They all know the team chants. They all know the traditional moments when everyone does a certain thing in the stadium. Why? Because people love to all do the same thing together. They love the community, the camaraderie, the commonality, the coming together. They love doing things together. And it's not just sporting events that, where this is popular. Listen, you, you go into all kinds of organizations, whether it's social clubs, service clubs, whether it's uh, companies or whether it's uh, other kinds of organizations, and you will find people all wearing the same shirts, all modeling the same logos, all participating in the same traditions. Why? Why? Because people love doing the same thing together. That's why it's important in corporate worship to plan things that everyone can all do together. So that we can sing together and pray together and stand together and sit together and kneel together and so that we can do things together and build our own traditions. In every church, there ought to be some kinds of ways that are the ways we simply do things because you're building that togetherness by the traditions, by the activities, by the songs, by the prayers, by the programs, by the things you do together. So reclaiming corporate worship, first of all, means that we plan experiences for all attenders. And second, we, try to do this, we all try to do the same things together. Third, we reclaim corporate worship by planning to do new things and things we won't do on, on our own together. You know, as I said earlier in the podcast, when I'm told to go and do whatever I want to do, the last thing I think about is standing up and singing a song. That is the last thing I think about. I'm not a musician. I'm not a musically gifted person. I I don't sing well, especially after two surgeries on my throat. And quite frankly, I have to be led and taught how to do that in order to do it effectively. There's other things that I don't normally do. I don't normally kneel down in front of other people. I don't normally stand and read a scripture together or out loud together. I'll do all these things though. And when I do them, I enjoy them. And when I hear a hundred or a thousand or 5,000 people all doing it together around me, man, what an experience that is to do something together that I couldn't or wouldn't do on my own. You know, this is a, part of worship leadership. It's, it's helping people to do together what they would never do on their own. And, you know, there are some people and even some cultures that are so self-conscious that they won't do certain things unless they can do them as part of a group. You know, for example, in the Korean community, they have something in almost every church called uh, early morning prayer. And usually at five or six or seven o'clock in the morning, Every Korean church is open and people will come there to pray. And when they pray, they all pray and they all pray out loud and they all pray out loud at the same time. Now, the first time I heard that, it was very disconcerting. And then I asked some Korean friends, why do you prefer praying this way? And I'll never forget what one woman said to me. Oh, I could never pray by myself. Other people would hear it and I'd be so self-conscious. I don't even, even want to think about doing that. You say, oh, yeah, well, she was probably new to prayer, baby Christian. No, this woman had been a pastor's wife for more than 50 years when she told me this. She said, oh, no, I want to pray with other people while we're all praying together. That way the focus isn't on me. The focus is on God and on all of us together doing something that we don't ever want to do individually or don't do that well by ourselves. So. Reclaiming corporate worship means planning experiences for all attenders, thinking about all the range of people who are coming to worship, that we plan to do the same thing together because there is so much power in the commonality of doing an activity jointly and that we're going to do new things and things we wouldn't do on our own or things we'd be very uncomfortable doing by ourselves. But if 10 or 50 or 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 people are all doing it together, we feel so much more comfort in the moment. And finally, when we reclaim corporate worship, we celebrate the power of a shared experience. And people want these, and they'll pay a lot of money for them. My wife and I recently went to a secular concert of a very well-known entertainer. Man, he was good. And several thousand people came and paid a lot of money to all sing his songs and stand and cheer for his jokes and enjoy his stories and share the commonality of other people in the room who all like that same kind of music. We celebrate the power of shared experiences in our culture and we do it all the time when we go to arenas and ball games and stadiums and other venues where large numbers of people come together to celebrate the power of a shared experience. Listen, corporate worship is a vital part of church ministry, vital part. I'm challenging you today to do your part to reclaim the corporate aspect of corporate worship. We're coming together and in the coming together, we have the capacity and the opportunity to experience something remarkable the presence and power of God in the context of community. If you're a worship leader, you have a responsibility. Gather up your followers, assemble those attenders, turn us into a worshiping group and take us into God's presence together. As a worshiper, you have a responsibility to come together as well and to participate in this corporate act of worshiping God together. Let's reclaim corporate worship as we lead on.